Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. One of these days, soon, Jesus Christ will return. As we discussed last week, what a glorious time that's going to be for all of us who have believed in Jesus. However, what a horrible time it will be for all of those who have not believed in Jesus. We've already discussed that judgment of the armies of the world at the Battle of Armageddon is going to take place when Jesus returns. But there's other judgments and events that are also going to take place before Jesus can set up his established kingdom here on earth. I'm Debbie Blank. Today, we will continue along the prophetic timeline of the return of Jesus, filling in some of those details about the events and prophecies from other books of the Bible. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. Did you know that there are more prophecies in the Bible about the second coming of Jesus Christ and his kingdom than any other event in Scripture? It's referred to 1,845 times, which averages to be about one out of every 30 verses in the Bible. And all of the prophets spoke of it in some way. That's probably why, before John begins to record the amazing events of Christ's return in Revelation, he reminds us that testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So today we want to make use of what John was referring to, the richness of what God has revealed to us about Jesus' second coming and his kingdom through some very enlightening Bible prophecies. Oh, and it's so exciting to read these, to know that God spoke millennial ago to different people in different ways in order to share the same information about the coming of Jesus Christ. Well, we read amazing stories about his coming in Revelation 19 last week, as well as Matthew 24 and other prophecies of Scripture. But before that happens, those who have not believed in Jesus are going to experience the fierce wrath of God because no unbeliever can enter this new millennial kingdom. So we read in Revelation 19 that Jesus sees the Antichrist and the false prophet and threw them into the eternal hell. He then struck down those armies of the world who followed the Antichrist in the battle that we call the Battle of Armageddon. Now we're going to look at other judgments and events that took place. We're going to start actually with Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3, because it makes sense if God destroyed the Antichrist and the false prophet, he would then cut off the head of the snake, so to speak, and that is Satan. So we see that judgment take place in Revelation 20, starting in verse 1, that reads, And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the abyss, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he could not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. We see a lot of information here, but probably what we might not understand is what the abyss is. The abyss is one of the places mentioned in Scripture that are clearly developed for the demons, fallen angels. We know from Matthew 25 that we discussed last week that the eternal hell was created for the devil and his angels. 
And mankind will only enter that because mankind ended up sinning. And those who do not believe in Jesus will need someplace to go for all eternity. That will be the eternal hell. But the abyss is different from the eternal hell. It's called the bottomless pit in scripture or the abyss. The Greek word is abusos, and it really is an abode of demons. In Luke chapter 8, verse 31, it says, Legion of many demons were imploring Jesus not to command them to go away into the abyss. That's the legion of demons who possessed a man in the gatherings. If you recall the story, Jesus ended up sending those demons into a herd of pigs, which ran down the slope and jumped into the water. But they pleaded with Jesus, don't send us to the abyss because they knew how bad it was. Can you imagine a place that's just full of evil? That's what this abyss is. And we know from Revelation 9 that the creatures in the fifth trumpet judgment came up out of the bottomless pit. Well, that is the place that Satan is going to be relegated to for a thousand years. That means that Satan will not have access to manipulate people or try and deceive them or to take them away from God or to lie to them. He won't be around to do that for a thousand years. So that the temptations that we have from Satan are things where he deceives us and tricks us into succumbing to our fleshly desires. So during that time, humans will have to deal with their fleshliness, but they won't have that extra added constant temptation and constant deception and trickery of Satan the devil. That's right. Now, humans who are born on the earth during that time will need to turn to Jesus just like you and I do. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. So we have that human nature of sin. That means people will still sin during the millennial kingdom, but it won't be from Satan's temptations. It will be from their own human nature. And the influence versus Satan having that strong influence with that absent, the influence is going to be Jesus Christ. It's going to be those who are ruling and reigning with him and virtue. So it's going to be different when somebody's dealing with fleshly temptations. They battle with themselves. But we know when we were growing up, when the culture supported doing the right thing and biblical values, it was much easier to do the right thing than what we are experiencing today and the younger generations are experiencing where all the influence seems to be going the other direction. Can you imagine Christ reigning on earth and the influence that he will have and the fact that all the people entering the millennial kingdom will be saved They will be humans in their human bodies. There will also be those of us in our resurrected bodies. We'll talk about that in a minute. But as humans, they will procreate. And when they do, the children must decide whether or not to follow Jesus who's reigning on the earth. The millennial kingdom, mille meaning 1,000, is the kingdom where Jesus will reign on earth. It's mentioned six times in this chapter 20 of Revelation. So we know that this is specifically talking about the fulfillment of the prophecies that have been made in the Old Testament regarding his reigning on earth. Now, remember, the Jews missed Jesus coming as the Messiah, the one who saves the world from their sins because they were looking for the reigning Messiah. Well, this is going to be his time of reigning. He'll be reigning in his temple in Jerusalem and all the people in the earth will come up to see him year to year, which means that people will be worshiping him. We will have a perfect theocracy, a perfect government under Jesus Christ. 
we will be worshiping him, focusing on him, praising him, following his governance and doing the right thing. As you mentioned, that is when Jesus comes as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And what he does prior to all of that happening is he rescues Israel. Now, there are some judgments that come along. We know in um, Revelation 17 and 18, there was a destruction of Babylon. Babylon was completely destroyed. And then when we talk about prophecies from other books of the Bible, we have a prophecy from Isaiah that talks about Basra and the Day of Vengeance. How does that fit into Jesus rescuing Israel? Well, if you recall from Revelation 12, 6, we talk then how the woman, Israel, fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1260 days. That's the last half of the tribulation period. So God protected Israel supernaturally during that period of time. Well, Isaiah 63, 1 through 4 tells us that he's going to come to Basra and he is going to rescue his people Israel that he has supernaturally protected. Basra is another name for Petra, which is that amazing city in southwestern Jordan that's known today as one of the seven wonders of the world. And we've been there. We know that walking down that seek, it's called that very narrow entrance into into Petra, is impossible for an army to get into because it's so narrow. Now, could they fly over and drop paratroopers? Well, yeah, except God's going to supernaturally protect them. So I wonder if he's not going to hide them from anybody who would fly over so that they couldn't see them. But let's look at Isaiah 63. It says, who is this who comes from Edom with garments of glowing colors from Basra? This one, capital O-N-E, who is majestic in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like the one who treads in the winepress? And Jesus says, I have trodden the wine trough alone. And from the peoples, there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. And their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments. And I stained all my raiment. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption has come. Well, there's a lot in that passage. But what that tells us is that Jesus is going to go to Basra. When he does, his garments are going to be stained in red, in blood, because he's come from the battle of Armageddon. He's come from defeating all the armies. If you recall, as we read About the Battle of Armageddon, we read about how the blood was going to come up to the horse's bridle, and the birds are going to eat their flesh, and there's going to be a lot of blood there. So Jesus, we're told here, has the red on his garment, probably from that. So we believe what that's saying is that Jesus is going to come to Basra after he's defeated the armies, and he's going to rescue his people, Israel. It goes on to say in verses 5 and 6, and I looked And there was no one to help. And I was astonished that there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought salvation to me and my wrath upheld me. And I trod down the people in my anger and made them drunk in my wrath. And I poured out their lifeblood on the earth, which explains what I was just talking about with this, because Jesus needed to defeat those people who were coming up against the Jews in Jerusalem and looking for the Jews to destroy them. Instead, God is coming to rescue Israel. We just got through reading in Revelation 19 about this 
very gross situation about this great supper of God. Come assemble for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of all of those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, small and great. A bloody, awful scene. And these enemies have come up into Israel because they're trying to destroy Israel and God's people. They don't know where God's people are at this point. God is protecting them, but they're still trying to take over the land and the area. But Jesus rescues Israel, and he has to because he's coming back for his people. He's coming to set up his kingdom for his people, Israel, as well as any Gentiles who were saved through the tribulation period. First, of course, Israel must repent. And it tells us in Zechariah 12, 8 through 10, that they will do that. What that passage says is that in that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And in that day, I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping of a firstborn. Why are they mourning and weeping? Because they missed his first coming. When Jesus returns, they will recognize completely his salvation, and they will repent, which matches up with Romans eleven twenty five to 27, because there we're told that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so then all Israel will be saved. Just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. That's God's promise. They will repent. He will take away their sins. They will be saved. They will have gone through a lot before they're saved. And just looking again in Zechariah chapter 13, verses 8 and 9, it says, It will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left in it. And I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them, and I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. So this is this reconciliation. It was pretty moving, I think, when I was reading that last part of it, that they come to say where the Lord says, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. God is a covenant-keeping God. He promised them many things back in the covenant with Abraham, and then with the new covenant, that he would write his law in their hearts, which is the Holy Spirit. And he promised them the full land, which would be theirs, and they've never occupied the full land that was promised to them. All of these things will be finally fulfilled in this millennial kingdom when they turn to Jesus and Jesus reigns as is promised in Scripture. But before he can do that, there has to be some other judgments. The Bible talks about all nations gathered against Jerusalem. Is that the Battle of Armageddon? It could be. Because even though it starts up in Megiddo in the northern part of Israel, it can meander down to Jerusalem. You have a 200 million man army from the east we know of, plus all the armies of the earth. So it could continue down into Jerusalem. And Zechariah 12 through 14 talks about that, how every nation will be gathered against Jerusalem. And then in Joel chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, that passage says, 
For behold, in those days and at that time, we're talking about the end times when Jesus returns, I will restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. That's another great promise. Everything that's been taken from them in the past, things that might be taken from them during the tribulation period, all things are going to be restored to them. And what's most important to them is their land and the fruitfulness of their land and their people and their God. And that's all going to be restored to them. It goes on to say in verse two, and I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, the valley of Jehoshaphat is the eastern valley between the Temple Mount and the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. He's going to bring the nations down there. And he says, then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and they have divided up my land. Now, we know that that's at the end times because this period of time from the time of the Romans when they destroyed Jerusalem and the temple until now when they returned in 1948 to their land, they were scattered among the nations. They weren't scattered among the nations when they went to Egypt. They weren't scattered among the nations when they went to Babylon. But now they have been. So we know this is talking about the end days. He goes on to say in verses 12 and 13, Let the nations be aroused and come up in the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. That sounds directly like Revelation 19 that we read last week, when Jesus says that he is coming to tread the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. I love how scripture matches scripture. So we see in Joel, that valley of Jehoshaphat judgment. It tells us in Zechariah 14, verses three through five, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem, which is on the east. And you will flee by the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Then the Lord, my God, will come and all his holy ones with him. So Jesus is returning to fight for his people and his land and to take over that city where he will reign. And again, that's an Old Testament prophecy. Zechariah and Joel, the ones that you've been referring to, are Old Testament prophecies of the very things that we see in Revelation and also some of the things that Jesus brought up um, in the New Testament. And so we're also looking at Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. It talks about the judgment of the nations, the sheep and the goats. That's an interesting passage. We're not going to read it today. But God divides those nations who supported Israel from the nations who didn't support Israel in that sheep and goat judgment, it's called. And he relegates those who supported Israel to eternal life. And those who didn't support Israel are sent into the eternal hell. You see, people can't be resurrected and go into eternity without being judged first. And we're told that everybody will be judged and everybody will go into eternity. Now, that kind of blows some people's minds because I think a lot of people think that those who don't know Jesus are just going to die and be buried, whereas those who do are going to go into eternity. But John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29 read, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and shall come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, 
and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Everyone will be resurrected, some to life and some to judgment. Next week, we're going to talk about that judgment that will take place from those who didn't believe, as well as reviewing what happens to those of us who have believed. But for this week, we're talking about the land and the people being cleansed so that Christ's millennial kingdom can begin on this earth. And I just mentioned the land. We've talked about the judgment of the people, but do you realize that the earth is going to be changed too? In Zechariah 14, where I was just reading from, it goes on to say in verse 7, For it will be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor light, but it will come about that at evening time there will be light. And it will come about in the day that the living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and the other towards the western sea, and it will be in summer as well as in winter. First of all, no rivers flow from Jerusalem right now. So that's going to be changed there. The fact that the luminaries are going to change so that there really won't be any night as we know it. It goes on in verse 9 to say, And the Lord will be king over the earth in that day. The Lord will be the Holy One and his name the Holy One. And all the land will be changed into a plain from Geba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site from Benjamin's gate as far as the place of the first gate to the corner gate and from the Tower of Hanal to the king's winepress. And the people will live in it and there will be no more curse in Jerusalem and Jerusalem will dwell in security. My, that's going to be interesting. There's going to be some changes in geography. It's still the same earth, the same atmosphere. We still will have rivers and seas and things like that. But there are going to be changes. And Jerusalem is going to rise up. Doesn't that make sense that our king will sit in a Jerusalem that is above all other places? Because he is above everything else. While the Jews missed the first coming of their Messiah, because they were looking for this kingdom, they will accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, as Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah. And that kingdom will be established when he returns and cleanses the land and cleanses the people. We've been talking about the kingdom of God coming on the earth, that Jesus is coming back as King of King and Lord of Lords. We have this wonderful new kingdom, but it begs the question, who gets to enter this new kingdom? Well, a lot of people will be, fortunately. Many of us, however, will be in our resurrected bodies. Those of us who are blessed to go up in the rapture of the church that takes place before the tribulation period will receive our resurrected bodies at that time. Then you have a whole group of people who are going to be saved during the tribulation period. They're called the great multitude. And those are Jews and Gentiles alike. They're also going to be in heaven and come back to earth to get the resurrected bodies. And then you have the 144,000 Jews that eventually are martyred, according to Revelation 14. They're going to be in heaven. They're going to receive resurrected bodies. What about the Old Testament saints? Those believers. There's a lot of people that believe from the passage that we'll read next week from Revelation 20 that they will come to life and receive resurrected bodies and go into this millennial kingdom. So those people who have died in the past, believing either in the Messiah to come from the Old Testament or in Jesus Christ from the New Testament period, those who've died and then have been resurrected will enter into the millennial kingdom, but in resurrected bodies. So we won't 
procreate. We won't marry. We will be in different bodies, but we'll be reigning with Jesus because to live is Christ and to die is gain. Once we're with Jesus, he never leaves us and we can never leave him. So we will be with him on this earth. But who's he going to reign over then if we're already in resurrected bodies? He's going to reign over those people who came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior during the tribulation period. Clearly, that will be a multitude of Jews because he is coming back for his people. And we read earlier that all those Jews who are left in the earth will be saved at that time. There will also undoubtedly be Gentiles who are saved during the tribulation period because we know from Revelation 14, the gospel is going to be preached to the whole earth. We know from the book of Revelation that God is consistently speaking to every tribe and tongue and people and nation who are the Gentile nations. And those Jews and those Gentiles who have believed in Jesus and made it through in their bodily form into the time of Jesus' return will enter the millennial kingdom. Only believers, however, will enter. No unsaved person will enter this kingdom. Do you remember Jesus says in John 3, 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So we must be born again, believing in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, surrendering our lives to him in order to enter the kingdom. No unbelievers will. So what happens with those children who are born during the millennial kingdom to the parents who made it through the tribulation are still in human bodies. Each one of those children are going to have to make a decision as to whether or not they will follow Jesus, just like you and I do, just like our children have to make those decisions. Will they all follow Jesus? Well, it doesn't indicate so in scripture. Those children who are born during the millennial kingdom, if they choose to follow Jesus, then they will continue to live with Jesus and probably not die. Because once we are a believer in Jesus Christ, we are never apart from him. And so if they died, they'd be apart from him. One would believe that they would continue to live as they did in the early days in Genesis, where they lived hundreds of years, that these people will live thousand years. But what about those who don't believe in Jesus? In Isaiah 65, verse 20, it says, No longer will there be an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of a hundred, and the one who does not reach the age of a hundred shall be thought accursed. The idea from that passage is that those who have not believed in Jesus Christ will die during the tribulation period. But did you notice the ages? A youth will be a hundred. So it has to be talking about the tribulation period because there's no other time in all of human history outside of the millennial kingdom that would match up with his time frame in Isaiah. So the question is, are you going to be saved and go into the kingdom with Jesus? It's a decision that you need to make now because once you die, it's too late. Are you looking for and awaiting the return of Jesus or will you miss it like the Jews did the first time? Because only those who believe in Jesus as their Savior will enter this kingdom and will be with Jesus forever. Now is the time to confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and then you will be saved. 
and you will enter this millennial kingdom in your resurrected body, reigning with Jesus forever. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.